So, I got plenty of more things that didn't make the sermon this morning, but before we go there, I'll open up to any questions from what we covered this morning. And remember to please wait for a microphone. Oh, sure. Drop, drop the nice equipment on the floor, Alyssa. Would you, go, would you go over again? I missed the part where you were talking about the, God being the father, um, that David didn't call him father. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not aware of any of the Psalms where David, um, I'm not aware of any Israelite approaching God individually as, as to a father. I'm not aware of, maybe there is. I think that's part of what's so significant about Jesus saying, here's how I want you to pray, our father. And then the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Well, if we recognize that the saints in the Old Covenant did not possess the Holy Spirit, then they did not have a spirit by whom they could cry, Abba, Father. So Solomon, when he's dedicating the temple, can refer to Israel corporately as God's son. And you know, Hosea, out of Egypt, I called my son. So God's the father of Israel nationally. But I'm not aware of any examples of individual Israelites addressing, coming before God, calling him father. I, I do believe that's an exclusively New Covenant um, intimacy approach. And we just so take that for granted. But that's, that's what I'm, I mean, if, if there's a passage out there that proves me wrong, by all means show me. I just have been looking and I'm not aware of any. Um, so that's, that's the point. But as God then says, I'm, I'm like a father that you can come to as a small child, how we understand those categories and what information we import into them. I mean, think about it. If, if all of your experience with your father was with an abusive, angry, sinful man, um, and then God's like, I'm like, I'm like your dad. <laughs> You're going to be confused. That's not going to be good news. Um, or like I was saying otherwise about if, if everything you associate with discipline is bad, discipline's bad, then when God says, I'm a good father and I discipline my children, you're going to scratch your head and go, what? What does that mean? And so how we understand these categories biblically, since God's in so many places says, like this, so is it is with I, um, understanding what this is will help us understand those types of analogies and comparisons. Is, okay. Other questions, oh, thoughts? Mm, 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 mm. Oh, David Oldsgaard. Uh, maybe you'll address this later, and I don't know if yeah. that's the point for now, but um, more and more nowadays there are uh, homes which have uh, adult children still with their parents. <laughs> and I'm just curious about the discipline thing and whether I should stop yet. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it is kind of a challenge. It is something yeah. I think about, and um, just wonder if you had any comments or you'd be talking about that later. Sure, sure. I, I think that um, I was talking to someone. I've got to say this very carefully because this is a recording, so let me be careful here. Let me, how do I say this? I, I think that um, biblically, the appropriate response to rank foolishness, and foolishness is not the only type of construction correction kids need is appropriate at any age. So you can read the Proverbs, a rod is prepared for the back of a fool. And I'm not suggesting we go do that. I'm not saying that you know we should beat fools. But the thought seems to be, and again, that same concept, you can't reason with rank foolishness. You can't, you can't appeal to it with the beauty of wisdom. Um, you can't you know, address it that way. So there's a sense in which I think when you're dealing with rank foolishness, there is no fundamental biblical age limit 
Uh, I want to say that carefully and cautiously. Now, on, on the other hand, hopefully, by the time you're getting to, you know, um, your, your 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that rank foolishness, I mean, I'm talking biblical, the fool, the scoffer, the, um, the, the, those types of pictures, you're not dealing with that terribly often, and you're dealing with more um, things where you can use instruction and other forms. So, but the issue of age, if you, if you ask biblically, I mean, I'm not aware of an age limit. But the other problem, though, is in biblical times, by the time you're 13 and 14, you could be married. You know, um, so it's, it's tough where we live in a world where we call 19, 19 and 19-year-olds teenagers. And, and um, we, we live in a very different world from the biblical times, so it's, it's hard to try to figure out how the application of those things um, are. We will get into that to some degree further, but um, yeah, I, I don't know biblically. If someone were to say biblically, when's, when's the age where you stop? I don't know I could defend any cutoff age. I, I think it's more of you move into patterns of shepherding um, where hopefully you're doing more and more formative instruction and you even begin to let more natural consequences take place where you're sort of moving into an advisory stage with older children. I don't know if that's a good idea and let them sort of reap the consequences of that. Like I think those types of factors become much more. But when I've got, you know, a two-year-old who's going, no, there's no amount of, now listen, that's not going to prosper your life very well. Have you thought about the implicate? No, you, you just, you, you deal with it with, with correction. Um, when you've got other avenues, you use them. Am I beating around the, is that... We'll wait and see where we go, Dave. Um, I gotcha. Other questions, thoughts, complaints? Elsa. Um, I remember Al Dr. Albert Moller saying um, he was sitting in his bedroom as a teenager. He was about 16, 17, reading a book or something, and his dad walked into the room. And uh, he said to his dad, oh, hi, what are you doing in my room? And his dad said to him, let's just get one thing straight. This is my room. This is my house. <laughs> well, it's kind of like Phil Hopper told me. He goes, he can remember the very moment his father said to him, and as he was getting to a certain age, son, I'm getting to a point where I may not be able to make you mind, but I can make you regret not mind. <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, hold on here. Any other thoughts? Yes. No, no, microphone, microphone. Come on, come on Anna. I just wondered if we're going to address, or you're going to address um, issues um, as church members and grandparents and uh, just uh, the public in general. When we see um, young people uh, doing things that shouldn't be, uh, that, that's not proper, maybe either on Facebook or in person, mm. what, um, what limitations or uh, do we go ahead and address the parents about these issues? Um, do we confront the child? Are you, are you going to hit on those kind of topics? Um, I'll be happy to spend a few minutes on it right now. I don't know how much um, we'll do. Let me, let me just start by trying to answer that right now. I think a lot of that has to do with the um, relationship you have with the child and their family 
and the um, exigency. I mean, so yeah, if there's a kid actively throwing rocks at your window, tell them to stop. Make them stop, right? Um, if, by all means. Uh, if, if there's, that's exigency, urgency. If you, if you know the family, if they're part of the church, that's different than if they're just a neighborhood. I mean, if you're dealing with neighborhood kids who have no profession of faith, you just got to decide, is this something I want to spend my chips on? I'd probably talk to their parents. But realize you don't have a whole lot in common worldview-wise, and so certainly if it's illegal or whatever, if they're on your property, you can ask. You just got to decide where you want to spend your chips. I don't have a clear answer. You may decide, you know what? I'll just let them cut through my property. I'm not going to do that because I want to not become a stench in the nostrils of my neighbors. Whatever. There's no clear answer there. When you're dealing in the church, then I would say, and to me, and I, that, that when you're dealing with, with children, especially baptized children, in my mind, when a child is baptized, there's a sense in which publicly in the church, they're standing on their own two feet with a profession of faith, right? So there's, a, there's an earlier age, like, they're not here. My kids are not here, right? I don't want to talk in front of them. Okay. So, like, Abner has already made a profession of faith at one point. We'll, we'll see, you know? I mean, we'll see where that goes. He's not ready. He's not in a place where he's willing to stand on his own two feet and make that publicly to you guys. So I'd say that most specifically, I'd ask you to deal with me, unless it's exigent, unless my son is, is, is you know, doing something he should not be doing, you're telling him to stop doing that, it'd be more appropriate to come to us. Once... A child has made a profession of faith publicly, then what they've said is, and us baptizing them is, this is a brother, this is a sister, and I think at that point, avenues of direct approach are much more appropriate and fitting. You still may choose to go through the parents, but I can speak to this person as to a brother. I can speak to this person as to a sister. They, on their own, on their own feet, without their parents, professed faith in Christ, and we received them into the body, and we received them through baptism, and so we can interact with them that way. There's a sense in which. Um, I don't think it would be wholly legitimate for a parent to say, no, please don't talk to my child, talk to me. Well, when they got baptized, they talked to the church without you, right? That, that's, that's sort of how I parsed through that. So if I'm thinking, is this something I can talk to the parents or not, then that's, that's another factor. Does that deal with what you're saying? Or Okay, okay. Um, and it's a, good, it's a good question. Other? Alyssa? You were talking, oh, that's really loud, sorry. <laughs> and you were talking about how um, parents kind of shape their children's yeah. idea of God and things yeah. like that. And then, like, what do you do with children that were raised by abusive parents and things like sure. that? Like, since the church has a responsibility oh, for yeah. those kids, oh, yeah. how do we practically, like, reshape their Well, view of there's two possibilities, right, um, at least. You don't do what the shack did. No, no, I'm not even joking. If you read the wild, I don't recommend you do, but if you read the wildly, wildly popular Christian, square quotes, book, The Shack, the whole thesis is, well, part of the whole thesis is this guy goes to meet with God in a shack, and because this guy had bad experiences with his father, God reveals himself as a woman. Because, no, no, that's, this is a Christian, Christian bestseller. God the Father is a woman. Himself. And the Holy Spirit is a Chinese woman, and Jesus is the only member of the Trinity who's masculine in the encounter in the book. Right? That is the wrong answer. That is not the right answer. Uh, even if you've had serious trauma with your father figure, that's part of the reason we're doing this study. Let's see what these things ought to be. Let's, let's see biblically what fatherhood is supposed to be. There's some people who just don't have a father at all, right? 
Um, and you got to fill in those blanks, fill in those categories. Well, what, what ought fathers to be? Um, in, in some sense, when you learn that, then all of those, you can say to someone, all of that longing and misplaced um, sorrow, not misplaced, all that sorrow and that longing for what you didn't have, God offers, like, I am the perfect parent, he says, and here I am, I'll be a father to you. And so if you've had a good experience with your, with your father, you can only amplify that. And if you've had a bad experience, all that, I mean, father hunger is huge in our, in our nation. I mean, I, you just look at like the movies that deal with the theme of people longing, hungering for, uh, especially fathers, um, parents in general. And, and so when you get an idea of this is what it should be, and it's, a, it, it's, I am sorry, you say, I am so sorry that you were sinned against, that you did not have um, this in your life. But here's, here's what God offers as a remedy. He offers the real thing. He offers to be a father to you. He offers to be that to you. Um, as Mike Doty read this morning, God will comfort his people. Um, and, and he's a parent zealous for them. Um, so yeah, you don't simply say, well, I had a bad experience. And that's what I'm saying is so important about understanding it properly. Because if all your experiences with fathers are, I hate, hated my dad and he was a jerk, well, that you're going to that baggage is going to come along with you saying fathered in heaven, right? Um, we don't recreate God in our own image. We, we transform our minds by submitting it to Scripture and saying, okay, what, what should it have been? <laughs> okay, it's that. Um, and so you do things like this periodically where you study being a parent. Um, and that's a great question, but yeah, don't do what the shack did. Um, we, we do not have the authority to reshape God simply because we've had bad experiences. Um, we simply don't have the authority to do that. Uh, Lee Carpenter. Well, my mother was raised in an orphanage, and she kind of knew her dad off and on, you know, through life. And he was sounds like a jerk. So, anyway, um, but she, you know, she's became a Christian at a as an adult, and it really was just like you say that father hunger. I think was part of it. And then she also has a comfort from God that she can share with other people. So that same comfort that we've been comforted with, that she's, you know, that we've all had disappointments and hurts, that when you get a healthy view of what the world is and your place in it and your relationship with God, then we have so much to offer people that are dragging around that uh, bad baggage. Yeah, yeah, open up to Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel 16. These are some of the wonderful, wonderful metaphors and pictures of God's care for us. Um, now, this is a corporate speaking to, to Israel, or more specifically to Jerusalem. Um, Ezekiel chapter 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field for you were abhorred on the day when you were born. Okay? And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. 
I said to you in your blood, live, and I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. And he goes on to describe how basically this, this rejected and abandoned child in the middle of a field with its umbilical cord still attached, covered in blood, that's God coming by and adopting and, and, and cleansing and taking it. And you go on to read it's not as positive because in response to all of this, Israel becomes a prostitute. But even that beginning picture right? If, if you've been, if God can redeem those things and he can say, look, even if, even if that's your experience, I can be a father to you. And it's a tender picture of love and compassion. So um, I, I think that, we, that you can deal with those things biblically. The, the right answer would be to, to go biblically and see what the Bible has to say. And the wrong answer would be, well, I don't like fathers, so I'm going to make God a mother or whatever you want to call it. Um, but there's some wonderfully intimate pictures of this um, in Scripture of God's love, like a like a like a father, or even at times like a mother. Not, I'm not suggesting God is the father's feminine, but there are elements that he'll like the nursing hen gathering up her chicks, so I would gather you up, right? There's something mothering about that image. That's undeniable, and we we don't want to be so afraid of giving any ground to the liberals that we can't acknowledge that. Um, yes, Lois. And then we'll go to the mics. He's got the mic. Um, I'm wondering if you could speak to just just the joy of parenting. You'd mentioned that in your sermon. Yeah. But you know, you talk about discipline disciplining your kids. You can get so wrapped up in the discipline part of your kids that you you start to think, where is the joy in right. parenting? So how do you how do you correlate the mm. discipline uh, that we need and are instructed mm. to do for our kids, but also finding joy even in doing that? Yeah, great question. I would let me let me step back and say when I when I do premarital, I tell people that marriage is more like an a. a uh, I was about to say an exponator, but that's not a word. You know how things become exponential? Marriage raises the stakes of joy and sorrow. So an ugly marriage is far worse than a single person who's not doing so hot. But a marriage that's thriving is so much more joyful than the best. You know what I'm saying? So it raises the stakes. Kids take it another notch higher beyond that. <laughs> but just as in marriage, there are seasons where you're just working at your marriage. There's not as much joy. It's just hard work. And then there are other seasons where it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's Proverbs 5, you're drunk with love. That's the language. I'd say the same thing happens with kids. Different seasons where it seems like all I'm doing is correcting and disciplining Zadok. It just seems like that's all we're doing. He's just going through a stubborn. It's just there is not much joy. <laughs> now, thankfully, i got some other kids. The Lord has not conspired that all four have had to... I've had to go through the same thing at the same time. But I'd say it's seasons, um, and, I, and I'd, it's, it's less of something I can control, and it's more of an issue of just, okay, I mean, maybe reevaluating. Am I disciplining too much? Am I, am I having, and we'll get to that. What, what, do you, what ought we to discipline for? What ought we, where's their, where's their gray area? Where's their wisdom and latitude? Um, what does it mean to exasperate a child, provoke them to wrath? We'll we'll get to that, and Daniel will unpack some more of that. But in my experience, it just tends to be more seasons, and there are sweet seasons with each of my kids. There are seasons where I'm just delighting in them. I mean, people get uncomfortable saying this, but at various times, I take pleasure at very more and less in of my children. I love them all in the sense that I'm committed 
to all of them prospering in life. I'm committed to all of them. You know, ultimately they're good in knowing the Lord. But the joy that I take in them absolutely waxes and wanes. And there are days that one of them is more of a delight than the other. Well, why? Because they're they're walking in truth and they're honoring their parents and they're a joy and a delight. And there are others where it's like, you are uh, what's like rottenness to the bones and vinegar to the teeth. Use nice biblical metaphors, and then it just sounds so much heavier. You know, <laughs> you are like a stench in my nostrils. Oh, um, no, that's just the diaper that needs changing. Yeah. Um, no, but no, it's weird. Even even my little even my little my littlest one. We're teaching her. We're te- We've been two weeks ago. I'll tell you this. We're teaching her. She's not here, right? Because Serena insists that even though she's like one years old, she understands what I'm saying. She's like, you got to be careful. You can't say that in front of her. She knows you're talking about her. Okay, so we're teaching her to stay put. We call it blanket time on a little blankie. Put it on the floor, and then when they go to the edge, you go no, and you sort of flick their hand away, and they pull back. And, and we were able to teach the other kids this, and so I can sit. And then the thought is Serena can put her on a blanket with some toys, and she can work in the kitchen. And you know, sort of to keep your eye on the kid, but the kid's not running all over the house turning the computer off and sticking their finger in sockets. And she's getting it because like the third time that Serena goes to sort of, she pulls her hands back. She gets it. And then she sits down on her rump and glares at me and just glares at me, sucking her thumb and rubbing the back of her head going, not happy. I mean, it's basically, it's the, you know, the I'm standing up on the inside thing. Like, I recognize that you have superior force, so I will comply, but I ain't happy about it. So we go to put her down in the crib, and Serena, because I was, I was being the, the heavy, the latest with her, Serena said, oh, you should go get her up and have some snuggle time. And so I go in, and she's you know, a little bug curled up like a bug in the, the crib, and I say, Eliana, do you want to get up? And she sits up on her bottom, looks at me, and goes, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is like an hour later, and she's still mad at me. It's like, wow, okay. The little vipers and diapers, man. It's a good thing God makes them cute. That's, that's the helpful thing. Um, yeah? Yeah, no, no. I'll probably, this will probably show up in another sermon. Paul Washer, you, and this gets back to even the fundamental difference with children are, are good. They're not good. They just are very underdeveloped sinners. So what kids do, they wear their heart on their sleeve, but I wanted it. It's the same stuff we do, except we're sophisticated enough to know if I say that, you'll all think I'm a jerk. So I'll come up with some sanctified reason, you know. Um, and but kids, they're not as sophisticated, but it, it's every much as much sin as with us. Paul Washer uses this illustration that you know you got the kid in your arm and they reach out and they want to touch your wristwatch and you say no and you put their hand back and they reach out again and you say no and then they start to get upset and they start crying and in a moment they're in a full-blown you know like fit he goes you understand that if that child possessed the resources and strength of an 18 year old that that child would slay you where you stand and take i mean they might regret it two minutes later but if that child could they would slay you where you stand to get that watch it's only cute because they're impotent. It's only cute because they are, don't pose any real threat. But understand, you know, it's a good illustration, but no, it's absolutely true. Um, children are born, we're all born sinful. No one had to teach my kids to sin. No one had to teach them to lie. No one had to teach them to hit each other. They didn't take lessons in that. It all came naturally. Um, and, and, and again, this is getting back to starting points because honestly, and this is what blows my mind, we live in a day and an age where crimes 
and 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 just horrific things that kids do unprecedented i mean it's just it's not the guns aren't the issue if anything kids have had more access to guns in the past than they do now they have the least access to guns today than they ever have and yet we're having these school shootings and things and yet in the world where that's taking place the one thing we're insisting on is kids are good kids are good kids aren't bad don't discipline them. They're good. They just need education. Education is a cure for everything. It's just the panacea for all ills. And when education doesn't work, what do we need? More education. That's why it didn't work. We just need more of it. And education is important. But, but, but God didn't send a teacher. He sent a savior. I mean, he, is a, he, he is a teacher. Don't get me wrong. But fundamentally, there's a sin problem that needs to be addressed that no amount of education can deal with. Right? The demons believe in God and tremble. They, they know true things. That doesn't solve the problem. Um, okay. Yes, Lois. Do you remember or did you forget? I remember. It's not <laughs> really a question. It was, okay. I was, it was dealing with um, kids that don't have good parental mm. examples. And I was just thinking about the opportunities we have as a church. One of yeah. your points was that we become fathers and mothers to one yeah. another. And... Um, how important it is for, I think, especially men to be involved mm. with the kids. It's, it seems like it's easier for a woman to make that commitment yeah. to do to work in Awana or in the nursery or whatever. Yeah. And how important it is for kids to have men be involved in those things yeah. that they can see uh, examples of godly men and how they re- react with children and how they deal with discipline and whatever. And just as an encouragement to, to all of us that... We do have a, a parental role to the kids that we work with yeah. in the church. No, and absolutely. I've heard of countless stories of relationships and things through Awana, through other programs, through other, even without a program, happened organically where, where men and women have been fathers and mothers, in a sense, surrogates to, to, to kids in the church and the community. And that's precisely the type of thing that we're, that we're to be doing, especially, I guess, back to your question, Alyssa. Um, I, I think you've even seen, with some, of the, with some of the difficulties you've had, people taking you under their wing, and you've been blessed by that. And, and I've seen that with other people. And, and that's precisely what should be taking place. Um, so that when we see the orphan, when we see the, um, the... I mean, that's true in undefiled religion, is to minister to orphans and widows in their affliction. The fatherless, the motherless, to care for love those. That, that's true faith. Um, so that James can say, look, if you're not doing that, shut up. If anyone thinks himself religious and bridles not his own tongue, but deceives himself, that man's religion is in vain. True and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Greg, you got, you got the Just mic. an observation. Yep. <clears throat> As I go to various stores to purchase things, there's almost never a time that I'm there that I don't see a parent-child relationship that just breaks my heart. Uh, a, young, a young person defying their parents and their parents mm. are to the point in our society where they, they know they don't dare mm. do what they need to do yeah. uh, or chances are they would be arrested. Yeah. Uh, and yet you see that happening with six-year-olds, four-year-olds, eight-year-olds, and you know that when, when they become 14-year-olds, that parent's life is just going to go bad. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, just, it's just a shame in our society is, is doing that to parents, uh, telling them that it's wrong for you to, to uh, exert your will over your children. Right. Now that, that, again, gets back to the insanity. You can kill them before they're born. That's okay. 
but don't you dare speak harshly to them. What? Like, that's just, like, it's just crazy. So, like, until they're born, kill them. Any reason, that's fine. Once they're born, you better not even look the wrong way. I mean, it's just for scary. The, the other part of the problem is we, we don't have any understanding. One of the things we'll look at biblically is the distinction between biblically appropriate discipline and abuse. Abuse is a terrible thing, and we know that. The problem is we have no clear, I don't know if you know this, in every one of the states in the United States of America, corporal punishment is legal. And abuse is not. The problem is there's no clear dividing line of what makes what, and so frequently it gets down to a social worker or a person's opinion of what is what. But technically, corporal punishment is legal in all 50 states. Um, what that's to look like and what the line, and that's where, where there's a lot of confusion. Um, and I think that's part where we got to think through, through, think through things carefully and, um, and be wise as serpents and harmless as doves and be consistent. Um, you know, but I'll say one other thing. If you've thought through discipline and correction, I think that actually serves as a tremendous help and guard against sinfully and angrily disciplining your kids. In other words, if you know what your standards are, then when the standard gets broken, whatever that is, wherever you've drawn your line, then you know what needs to happen. Otherwise, what you'll do is what most of us do. You'll delay and put off discipline until finally you're irritated. Well, now what's going to happen? You're going to discipline with anger. And what's going to happen? You're going to associate discipline with anger, and you're going to reinforce this notion that's bad and it's ugly. I had a friend of mine who, um, his wife associated discipline only with bad things. Every time the parents disciplined them, it was when they'd finally gotten to the point where they were angry. And so it was always this scary mom or dad's angry thing. And so there was no association of anything instructive or good about it. Um, so if anything, when I notice my wife or myself getting irritated with my kids, the first thought that pops into my head is, I've probably been slipping today and letting them get away with stuff because I'm irritated now. Whereas, whereas if I was catching it when I should and said, okay, Let's go in the other room for a minute. Let's talk. And it's calm. You, I, our pattern is we, we um, acknowledge what was done was wrong. And it also gives the child an opportunity, if there's a misunderstanding, to make that clear. Okay, what'd you do? And that kid has a chance to say, I didn't do it. You know, the kid say, yeah, I disobeyed you. Okay, you disobeyed me. Yeah, okay. Then we talk through what the consequences is going to be. Then we do that. Then we, they ask for forgiveness. We hug. Then they go out, you know, usually smiling and happy. Um, but there's a whole process of restoration and, and dealing through things so that there's no confusion, there's no what's going to happen, we talk through what's going to happen, here's what you're going to get, here's what's going to happen. Um, now there's a world of difference between that and abuse. The problem is our culture has a hard time telling, you know what I mean, um, which is, which is uh, challenging living in the culture and, you know, and again, trying to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But... Elsa. I think one thing we need to remember is when everything boils down to it, it's the, there's a hatred of God yeah. in our society. Yes. And when everything comes down to the bottom line, they are trying to kill Christianity, stop us from worshiping God, because our enemies are not the flesh and blood people we right. see, right? Right. No. Uh, yes. Yeah. There's 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 an active conspiracy. We need to not forget that. I mean, because again, the, the the thing that blows my mind is we are producing, by and large, across the country, the most. Uh, 
say this nicely, the lowest grade of teenagers our country has ever produced. Can, can we agree on that? And their usefulness, their fitness for society. I mean, their, their self-esteem is off the charts, but their ability to actually do anything, hold a job, do anything, we, we're producing the, 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 the most useless um, teenagers our country's ever produced. And yet, the tenacity with which our culture holds to its, its parenting axioms is, is ridiculous. And you want to say, well, how's that working out for the culture? You're so insistent that this is the way you do it and you don't do it this way. How, what type of fruit is that bearing? It's, it'd be one thing. I'd, I'd listen to the culture if the, if the children we are producing were just stellar. You know, like, wow, okay, you've earned a hearing. But when you look at these, these in many cases, wastrels, um, and why would, but yet our culture insists it knows best. And it's just challenging to sort of smile and say, yeah, okay. And just keep your nose down and keep your head down and, you know, just try to be faithful. It's, it's tough. Um, it's real tough. Five minutes. Any other, any other things? Alyssa. Um, with the way that the culture views, like, abuse and things like mm-hmm. that, and, like, it's gotten to the point where it's ridiculous of if your boy child decides he feels like a girl and you tell him no, that's abusive. Yes. And assigning your child gender is just a horrible thing to do these days. Um, how do you train up your children, even in public settings, to believe the truth without... Um, it coming off as being abusive to the outside world. Uh, again, I think you need to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But I think most of the training you want to do initially, at least, in the home. I mean, I think that the military is onto something. If you think about the military, what's the very first thing the military wants to get across in boot camp? Who's in charge? And a fundamental principle of if we tell you to do something, are you going to endeavor to do that or not? Right? Right. And so there's a lot of Let's, we're going to pay you to go out at 3 in the morning. We're going to see if you're going to go out at 3 in the morning. Now, once they have this basic confidence that basically, generally, you understand who's in charge and you're going to do what you're told, then they'll train you to fly aircraft and they'll train you to you know, pilot nuclear submarines and all sorts of stuff. But we first have to settle this basic principle of who's in charge and are you basically going to comply with what you're told to do. I think there's something similar to that in that... Um, if, if, I, if Serena doesn't have a basic confidence that the kid's going to do what he's told, she won't take him out to the supermarket. So one of our kids um, isn't allowed to go to the supermarket for a while because the last time or two that this child went, this child took the opportunity to defy and say no. And so I, she's not going to feel terribly comfortable in a public setting parenting the way I think she, she would need to. So we just avoid that. So I've had her drop a child off here at my office while she's going shopping before. That's fine. And, you know, um, so one of the thoughts is if you've got a kid who's out of control, I would not go air that publicly if you could help it. Um, I, I think that would, that's just going to pour fuel on the fire. The kid's going to know. Well, the second the kid senses your hand is restrained, <laughs> they're going to run with it, man. So they're going to own you. So the, the first thought I'd say is I, I would not do tons of that in public. I would, I would, I would keep that to uh, your home. And only when you have a relative confidence that the kid's going to be compliant um, would, I, would I go out publicly with them. That's, that's just me. But, um, yeah, I, I would not want to be doing this in front of the Canaanites. Um, you know, it's, it's just me, though. But, oh, you know you time for one more, two more? No, you spring something. Oh, um, that's better. You brought up the military, and yeah. you made me think. 
Yeah. Unfortunately, that culture is changing as well. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. There are now such things as stress cards. What? Yes. It's a stress card. You yelled at me. You spanked, you spanked my inner child. You, you, you went too far. Okay. Time out, please. Okay. Um, so the culture has gotten into every aspect yeah, of our yeah, life. And yeah. It's sad. Hopefully something changes that. Yeah. No, we're, we're very confused culture in general, a very confused culture. Um, and uh, God help us. Uh, oh, it shows up. Yeah. Yeah. We could, we could spend an entire series just talking about some of the confusion that's going on. And, and this, again, though, is an opportunity for us to be distinct. I mean, one of, the, one of the opportunities that we have, like, while all the world is confused about marriage and gender and sexuality, the best thing we can do is model what it's supposed to truly be. So that when people are in our homes and people are around our families, they go, huh? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm confident that if someone can be in my home and watch the full process and orb of and the ebb and flow of my kids and discipline and correction, what you were talking about, Kevin, earlier, those seasons of sweetness, they're going to see it as a beautiful picture. I'm equally confident that if someone had a five-second video clip, they could, they could have me, you know, outraged on like Fox News or something. But if you see the, if you see the ebb and flow of of the entire relationship, I think it's a, I hope it's a beautiful picture. And, I, and I've seen people who have come from wide, widely disparate backgrounds come in and, and oh, this is you know, the same thing with, with the husband and wife roles. You know, people who hear submission is awful. Well, if you not that we're doing it perfectly, but for even in any way making progress towards the authentic pattern or in any way resembling that, there's going to be some inherent beauty that it's more winsome and, and winning people over than any sermon series I can do. So at the end of the day, we want to have excellent homes and marriages and families because that's going to be the selling point, especially as the culture is drifting further and further away. We've got the authentic thing. We've got the real pattern. We've got the real deal here. And the genuine article is going to um, be, be identified, especially as what the culture's got is crumbling and moving further away. So that's one of the best things we can do is have families and marriages that are just authentically and self-authenticatingly beautiful. You don't have to argue it. Just, you know, just spend some time in my home. Isn't this lovely? You know, type of thing. I remember the first time I was in, a friend of mine, they were in their 30s, they had six kids, the foils. And my goodness, every anticipation I had of six children blew out the window. It was a joy to be in their home. These kids were neither the seen but not heard variety, nor were they the look at me marching into and fro. They were actually integrated in a way that wasn't dreadful. And I was just, okay, what magic is this? What have you done? <laughs> but, but, but when we found out we were pregnant with Abner, that's the family I went to. Like, tell me, tell, I, I will learn from you. What are you doing? <laughs> you know? And it was just from spending a couple afternoons in their home. It wasn't from listening to a sermon. It wasn't from anything else. It was just seeing this is much more like the way things are supposed to work, isn't it? <laughs> you can just tell. And that's, that's one of the best things we can do is, is model model what marriages should be, what husbands should be, what wives should be, what children should be, model that. Um, it, it's what Peter talks about. Um, I'll close with this from First Peter 2. Um, there's a huge theme in Peter throughout the book. 
as the church is being persecuted about just letting our conduct speak for itself. Um, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, this is chapter 211, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Um, and so that's that's the basic thing is, you know, they're going to attack you, but if your conduct is honorable and righteous, they're going to have no choice but to glorify God, just like they couldn't bring a charge against Daniel, you know? <laughs> anyway, our time is up, and uh, I will see you all next week. God bless, and have a blessed Lord's Day.